You're listening to the No Gray Areas podcast with Patrick McCullough. In today's episode, we welcome J.J. Parma, a 21-year U.S. Navy SEAL veteran. He'll share with us some stories of his time in the service, along with discussing the importance of getting out of your comfort zone. Let's jump in. So, J.J., we met a couple of months ago. I connected with you right away. Um, wanted to get to know you more, but you have an interesting story. You, uh, you 20 years in Navy SEALs, right? 21 years. 21 years. That 21. one extra year counts. That one extra it? year counts. Every, every SEAL will tell you. Every SEAL will tell you. Every day counts. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, I can't even imagine what you've experienced, what you've seen in your life. Um, so you, you retired how long ago? So I retired, uh, August 1st, officially 2017. Okay. So you, we were just talking about your age. That means you you were in college prior to going to the SEALs, which you said was uncommon when you were there. That's right. So you went to college for four years? Went to college for four years. I split my time. Where at? So so I played hockey at Ohio State for two years. Oh, you played hockey? Transferred and graduated from Sacred Heart University in Fairfield, Connecticut. Yeah. Okay. Well, some people are going to want to know what position did you play? I was a forward, left wing. Okay. All right. So you got to score. You were the glory man. (laughs) I was the guy that got thrown out of the game usually for fighting. Okay, for fighting. Yeah, that, that was me. Well, I got thrown out of my last college. I got thrown out of my last college game. It's Did you story. really? Two strike. I was going to yeah. save that for two truths don't lie, but yeah, yeah. Now it. you're going to have to come up with another <laughs> truth. Yeah, now I got to start yeah, thinking. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you you you're in college four years, then you go into the seals. Correct. <laughs> How did you go from, I graduated from college to saying, I think I want to go be a Navy SEAL? So the story goes back actually a little bit farther than that. So I get this question a lot too, because I do you yeah. know, do the public speaking thing. Um, it started with my fascination with the military when I was very, very young. And this is this is a great point because I, it brings up a lot of points that you really want to touch on leadership wise, you know, and, and how a guy, I always said the SEAL teams and after having run the command in my last couple of years, the, the SEAL teams, um, you find the SEAL teams. The SEAL teams don't find you. So the person that finds the teams will, will do well. Um, and we can talk wow. about that later. Wow. But the, so my fascination was with the military. And the reason why is my father. And my, my parents were divorced since I was very young, four years old. Um, and my father was a Vietnam vet. He was a first cav, air cav guy, door gunner. And lost his best friend over there. Had just had two tours in Vietnam and hated it. Never talked about it. One of those guys. And uh, the more he did not talk about it, the more, the you more fascinated. I had books on Vietnam. Like it blew your mind. Yeah. So as a young kid, I had all the army stuff. I would go to the I would go to the uh, the old stores or the way they call those yep. um, army uh, surplus yep. stores. Yeah. Buy all the gear. I had the Vietnam jet. Like yep. all of it. Carrying the old canteen. Yep. I used right? to yep. tie my friends to a tree, which we were joking about at my retirement. <laughs> yeah. They showed up from Boston. <laughs> yes. My neighbors remember that. Uh, fascinated, but um, since a, since a very young age, five, six, seven, eight, and then uh, and then I got pretty good at hockey along the way somewhere, and I went to private high school, Boston College High School, um, and really got into to athletics. Yeah, and kind of that that curiosity for the military kind of faded. Yeah, um, yeah, but it never went away. Yeah. So when I when I graduated college, I re- literally stood there one day in May and said. It all came rushing back. Yeah. I wasn't ready to work. Had a job with Citibank in New York, you know, entry level, whatever. Wasn't ready for the suit and tie. And I said, I got to serve. It just came. I got to serve. Are you glad you made that decision? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So you were in for 21 years. 21 years. Your last four years, you were, right? Were you? So the last four years, I was at the training command called BUDS. Okay. Basically, in San Diego. School. Yep. The Naval Special Warfare Center. Uh, a year and a half of that, two years, I ran second phase, which is the dive phase of the three phases of buds and then i went on to be the operations officer yeah. um, and worked yeah. for 
for an awesome, awesome dude named Mark Schaefer, who's now just made Admiral. Um, yeah. Wow. So I retired out yeah. of that command. So where it all started, it ended totally unplanned, by the way. Yeah. Totally unplanned. Yeah. I can tell you, I can tell you how I ended up in the operations job. I didn't want well, it, but yeah, no, tell uh, us. So I just mentioned Mark Schaefer, who's now Admiral Schaefer, and I think he's leaving for South uh, Korea as we speak. Um, he came over to Bud's um, from one of the other SEAL teams to run the command as the commanding officer. And it, in the Naval Special Warfare Center, as a, I was a lieutenant commander in second phase, right? So it's a lieutenant billet, an 03, right? So it's a junior officer billet. I had made rank knowing that I was going to retire. And I had been to school with Mark. Mark and I had a, had a little history. And so we knew each other and he knew my capability. But I was, I was kind of trying to stash myself, just retire as the die phase officer in charge. And uh, he called me in the office in December, uh, I believe, of, oh, of 2015. Calls me in the office and he said, hey, uh, we lost our operations officer. And I had just done one at the, our boat team across the street. So I had done an ops tour. He said, well, I need an ops guy. You just made Luke 04. He goes, I'm not... Not forcing you, but think about it. He goes, I think you do a good job. And I said, all right, thanks, Mark. I'll think about it. Merry yeah, Christmas. Yeah. And no. <laughs> and no, I'm happy. The, you I'm, happy the end phase. I'm living the dream, right, with these guys. Yeah. And can't make this up. After First week after Christmas break, he came back, calls me to the office again. Hey, Jay, come on. Yeah, what's going on, Mark? He goes, uh, really, needed, really needed you to rethink the uh, operations tour here. He goes, this time I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. <laughs> so it was a salute. Yeah, yes, yes, sir. Yep. Right. All right, sir. I'm in there. It became wow. from Mark to sir, and I'm in the seat. It, yeah. but he, he was right. It was a good choice. I'm glad he did it. It was awesome. Yeah. Gave me a perspective on the command that yeah. Yeah. I would have never gotten. So we're going to imagine that some of our listeners don't know anything about uh, Navy SEALs, maybe even not about the military. This is a book that you just actually got for a mutual friend, yeah. right, called Uncommon Valor. And Uncommon, uh, you, grit. Uncommon, uh, un, grit. Uncommon Grit. Uncommon um, Grit. Uncommon Valor was a, a movie. Great movie. Great <laughs> movie. It's what made you want to go in the military, right. didn't it? That's yeah. right. Yeah. So Uncommon Grit. And actually, the photographer, you said you're, you were connected to him as well. Yep. McBee. His nickname is McBee. He's Mick, Mick Burnett. Uh, he was at the command. He became, he's a SEAL, uh, 25 plus years. Yeah. Was on some medical um, holdover and became the command photographer while I was there. Yeah. And the stuff that he did, unbelievable. The he's pictures come, in here are unbelievable. So I have one. We, we were talking about earlier. Yeah. There's a picture he gave me. I actually, I begged for it. He came in my office and he said, I got, and I look, I go, what is that picture? It is the students with the boats over their heads, black and white. Yeah. And they're in line. You can see a couple pictures that are, that are like it. And in front of them on the sand, on the beach is a sea lion. Just <laughs> sitting. Yeah. It, is un, it is the best. It hangs in my in my oh, laundry room. In, in I gotta see that sometime. I will. I'll take a picture sometime. Well, for people that don't understand, you know what you guys go through as a SEAL team. Uh, I love page one eighty nine. It's a picture of a guy underwater, and it says nothing brings out panic in people quite like the removal of air. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Well, you probably know that better than most people, Isn't right? That the truth. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, 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 give us just a little picture. Assume that some people don't know quite what it was like to go through, or what Navy SEALs are. So, so the air piece actually comes up when when in the second phase of training, which is the mm -hmm. die phase. So. Everybody thinks, you know, when you see the YouTube videos on Hell Week or, you know, Buds in general, the first phase is the really selection phase, seven weeks of just basic calisthenics and punishment, right? Um, and everybody thinks Hell I like Week. how you kind of make light of it, though, because no, I've seen the video. <laughs> yes. No, it, yeah, I mean, it's well, intense. This, this is the point. I mean, yeah. it's, it's the most exciting piece to watch, really. Yeah. I mean, it's the most videoed 
you know, captured piece of training mm-hmm. that you could have. And that's the one where people can that's ring the, the bell. That's the one where they, they go ring the bell. You see them on the ground, getting wet, sandy, coming up and down, getting sprayed with the hoses, that whole nine yards. Everybody thinks how weak is in that first seven weeks. Everybody thinks that five and a half days is the crucible of buds. And for some people it is. For me, it was not, oddly enough. In my particular, everybody has their, their crutch, right, at buds. Mm-hmm. Mine was pool competency, which is in second phase, which nobody really talks about and not a lot of people know about it. It's just one of those tests and there's always a test at buds it's one of those tests you have to pass and it deals with lack of oxygen underwater and it's yeah. really it's Which is where, where most people start panicking if it's you, where you be it's where we separate guys that actually want to be seals like anybody can do you know green berets do them you know, yeah blah, blah, blah. i'm yeah. not making fun of green berets my buddies yeah but anybody can do that basic fish you know physical stuff there's some water work in yeah. first phase but it really do you want to be a combat diver which is why I went into the SEAL teams in the first place. You want to fascinated with the water. Yeah. Fascinated with the fact that I could get underwater, go at 30 feet yeah. for four hours on yeah. a Drager. See, a I'm a diver, but I think I've done different diving than you have. It's unbelievable. Mine's nice, beautiful, clear, warm water. You're in dark water navigating. Can't see it. Can't see. All you can yeah, see yeah, is yeah. a compass lit by yeah. a tiny little you know, chem light. I just, I'm still fascinated to this day. I still think it's the, the bread and butter. It's what separates the SEAL teams from everybody else. So tell me, so, 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 so tell us what, so what was the crucible is called pool competency. It's basically a 20, 18 to 20 minute test where the guy gets on, you may have seen it. You can look it up and find it on YouTube. Guys will go down to a 15 foot section of the pool and start crawling and they'll crawl on hands and knees and they'll start with a mask. They'll start with fins and the instructor's kind of like a shark on top of the water and then one after another, the, the instructor will dive down and start what we call hits on the guy. So take off the mask and fins, turn him around, take his air out. He's got tanks on, so he'll t- he'll just do you know little things, and it gets excessively worse as they go. The problems become worse. The knots in the hoses become worse. They, there's a whole procedure. You have to be calm. There's some people listening right now that are yeah yeah They're trying, trying, trying just, to catch just, it. Yeah. just imagine just, just yeah. thinking about it. Yeah. You you basically are hypoxic the entire time. We keep you in hypoxia. You, you can't breathe. And even when you, you get your breath and your air back, the next hit comes right you after that. You get one little breath and then boom. You get one yeah. little breath and hit again. It gets worse until finally we give what is called the whammy knot at the very end. This stuff is online. It's, it's not a secret. You get the whammy knot where you reach back. You realize that it's this ball of just, just mess. You can't get it out. And there's a procedure for that. That's at about the 18, 20 minute mark. It feels like an eternity for those guys down there. And yeah. that one, you you know, it's funny because guys think they're holding their breath. They'll come, they'll probably tell stories. Oh, I just went out of buds. I held my breath for four minutes. Nope. We never actually keep a guy from breathing less than 60 seconds, more than 60 seconds. But it feels, like, it feels like an eternity. Because of all the, the stuff that's going right. on right yeah. now. Yeah. You have to think you're, yeah. you're moving. Everything you know, slows down in yeah. there and you're trying to get your breath. And that was the phase that you went, you came back and you were in That's charge right. of it. Yeah, I was back. officer yeah. in charge of dive It was phase. a little more fun being the guy on top. Oh, of I got in. So I was prior enlisted officer you yeah. know, before I got commissioned. And so I went in. When I took over dive phase, I was so excited. The guys hadn't seen this in years. For a lieutenant to come in and I got trained, high risk trained. I took all, and I was in the water testing. They hadn't seen that. And, and it went a long way. You want to talk about leadership? Um, do as I say, not as I do. Well, I, I did as I said. And yeah, I they did saw it. you in the pool yeah. and with I got them in the water that. with yeah. them. Right. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah, wow. I think I think saying the example um, that went a long way. Just having, I had a great bunch of of, of staff. And, you know, it, and this just, JJ, this just brings up something that I thought a lot about recently. We, we have more books on leadership. We have more conferences on leadership. I, I read a, a statistic that a new book comes out on leadership every eight hours on Amazon. Yeah. But do we have any better leaders today? 
I don't know. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. But you bring up a good point where it always comes back to: Are you applying these principles? Are you right. living them out? Right. Right. So, so I was hoping you we would we would get into the leader. Obviously, it's a, it's a no brainer that we're going to go down that path. In 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 driving out here to talk to you, I was thinking about that very topic, and I and I I often think to myself: The question I ask is: Are leaders born, or are they made? Right. I think it's that all the time. Family. I think that all the time. They, you leaders are not made. Leaders are born. I'm convinced. Yeah. It just is what it is, yeah. and we have to deal with it. Right. People just. Oh, you can't just go pluck. A leader. If someone took a video camera back in time and watched you in elementary school and junior high and high school, they probably you're going to see some characters. Right. Some characters. Right. And, and I'm not yeah. being braggadocious at yeah. all. Yeah. You're going to see some characters. Just probably there are some negative characteristics as well. Yes. You, you just have to deal yeah. with it. And it's part of the the leadership makeup. Yeah, you can't be a Boy yeah. Scout, right? Yeah. You're just not. Yeah. So I think I th I'm going to go with that answer until yeah. somebody until the science tells me otherwise. Right? Yeah. No, I right. love that answer. So uh, you're 21 years in. I made sure I said that right this time. Not 20, but 21 yeah. years. Don't shoot okay. me that one year. Yeah, I won't take that one year. Retirement. Yeah. So you uh, did you tell me you had two bronze stars? I have two bronze stars. Yes. Okay, and and explain what that is to people. Um, the bronze star is the third highest medal that you can win, um, or no, no, I, win earn that you earn. Um, it's not a participation it, ribbon. It is not a participation ribbon. Yep, they didn't. There was bronze stars. You know, <clears throat> were very rare. Um, in fact, we have, probably haven't seen one in, in quite some time uh, outside of maybe a clandestine operation by other units, and you know, during the nineties, eighties, nineties, but. Unfortunately, they became all too common uh, and often posthumously in Iraq and Afghanistan when yeah. those wars kicked yeah. off. So to earn a bronze star, a lot of the times it means you lost your life doing something. Yeah. yeah. I, That's I, what I mean, you're saying. Yeah. The, posthumously, yeah. guys would get bronze stars, silver stars. Um, yeah. And really, it's the families that would, would bear. Yeah. Yeah. Bear that. Um, Can you, are you allowed to tell us what those were for? Yeah. The first, uh, first bronze star. I received was uh, operations in Iraq as the as a platoon assistant officer in charge with the SEAL team on the East Coast. Um, we went out late one night, two in the morning, and um, which was a common thing, right, to assault a building downtown. And we we back then in, in 2005, let me set the scene for you. Um, very overtasked military, very overtasked um, Department of State, very overtasked administration. And I, and I say over test because we had two wars going on at the same time, yeah. plus other conflicts that nobody talked about. But the two major wars, Afghanistan and Iraq, going on, units were special operations were spread thin. The Central Intelligence Agency, uh, not only their interpreters, but their interrogators spread thin. Mm. So I actually became, as a platoon AOIC, assistant officer in charge, I became not only the assistant officer in charge leading you know, operations when you split a 16-man SEAL platoon. But I also had to go to interrogation school two weeks before, this is a true story, two weeks before deployment on an un, un, unknown length of time deployment. That, this is what we did in 2005. So I had to go to interrogation school, learn to be interrogated in two weeks, which interrogation is all personality, by the way. We can talk about that later. But I had to do that. So we were, these targets we were taking down and prosecuting all every night, all night, we would bring back our own guys off target insurgents, what have you, you know, persons of interest, let's call them. We would do the interrogation all night. Literally the initial interrogation, wow. try to get immediate yeah, intel yeah, yeah. to go back out the next yeah. night. So we did that. There was a two-week span in 2005 where well, I, I, I don't think we slept. 
and I suspect interrogation, like you're, you're focused, right? You're right. Like, you're, you're in, just you're like sweet, when you you're, went out you're and did coming that. off, you're coming off an assault yeah. and not everybody can do that. Not every team guy can do this. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not saying, and yeah. especially you just have to have, yeah. you coming off an assault, you're in the red, you're coming out. By the time you even get back to, we, we operated out of Baghdad International Airport, they call Baya. By the time you get back to that airport, you're still, you're still just coming down off and off. And now you have to switch gears, change clothes, you know, beard up, polo shirt, and then, you know, look like the con and go in and talk, interrogate these guys. I'm trying to get intel for the next day. That There was a two week time where I, I don't think we slept at all. It was me and another guy from yeah. the platoon. Yeah. And we just, we, the bronze star was awarded. We, we actually pulled a guy off target. We got follow on intelligence for the next night, pulled seven very, very bad people off of an apartment building in, yeah. uh, in downtown Baghdad at two in the morning. Wow. So that was number one. Wow. Number two was back in Iraq in, uh, in 2011 when my final combat deployment, when I was in Basra, doing some stuff that, uh, that I cannot talk much about, but that was my second bronze star. Yeah. And then you got another award. Yeah. The, the, the one, the, 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 the award that, you know, means the most to me is, is, um, Navy commendation medal with a V that I got in 2001 in October in Afghanistan. So that's, That'll put in perspective the timeline for you. Yeah. So we were actually under fire by American forces out hunting the Taliban one night and came under fire by Marine helicopters. They cobra, a Cobra and a Huey. Yeah. Uh, call, the Marines joke. call that a hunter killer team, literally. And I was a radio man, enlisted at the time, uh, and had to get on that radio and call ceasefire in the middle of, I mean, we took rocket fire, we took 50 cal, 762, it's a miracle. And nobody died. Yeah, tinging off the Humvee, Humvees. It's yeah. one of the scariest nights of my life. And we, we immediately—the only thing that saved us—we call it Afghanistan. The, Af, the the sand in Afghanistan is so fine; it's like a pixie. I've heard it's that. like I, yeah. It's it's strange. You can't even yeah. Silky pixie dust gets everywhere. And when the helicopters came down low, they browned themselves out and basically were just firing. What they what triggered them was our strobes. So our strobes are going off. We had these things called fireflies, which are infrared signaling device saying we're friendly they took that as enemy tracy fire in the after action this is what happened we were working for general james mattis at the time the after action said well we thought it was tracy fire from taliban so they lit us up and we i somehow got over through the radio had to make call and back then look there was no synergy between units yeah. we're with it was drop in with marines invade afghanistan and figure it out the communications were not up to par Somehow managed to get back and somebody heard me and said, cease fire, tell these, tell these guys to get off. And all went quiet. The vehicles screeched to a halt. I've never heard it as quiet in my entire, you could be in a hyperbaric chamber and you will not, that silence that I heard that night will never leave my head ever. Oh, I imagine. I, everybody picked their head up one by one and we did a head count and I'm looking, I'm looking for bodies, looking for blood. There's holes in the, in the vehicles. I mean, these aren't, then, these aren't, these aren't Taliban. These are yeah. sophisticated American helicopters yeah. with armament, 2.75 inch rockets lifted the end of the Humvee up. Everybody was alive. Nobody was hurt. That's incredible. Yeah. That's it's incredible. a story of stories. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the ones that, man, we could talk for hours. Oh yeah. <laughs> we could talk for hours. Yeah. Let me ask you one more question on this one. Then we're going to come back. We got to shoot another episode. So I'm um, we're just going to tell people you got to come back next week. Listen to the next episode. Um, next episode want to finish off by you by asking you two truths and a lie right which is almost ironic because again we're doing no gray areas <laughs> yeah, and i'm right, asking right, you to lie right, right. but uh we'll, we'll see if people can figure out 
after listening to you on two podcasts. But here's my last question. We'll wrap up to, with this one. Um, do hard things that make life easier. Read that recently. Do hard things that make life easier. Certainly was uh, uh, some, a principle that you would live out in the Navy SEALs, right? Yep. So so let me sum this up. So when I do my speaking, this is the main topic, right? And I, and I would love to explore this more because it's, it's fascinating. It's really called getting out of your comfort zone. Right? Yeah. So I, it's the comfort zone. Yeah. And I tell people all the time, you have to do the hard stuff to understand failure, right? Not being, not being afraid mm -hmm. to fail. That yeah. is the key. You've heard it. You, yeah. You'll see it in every yeah. leadership book, yeah. but it is the truth. Yes. You cannot be afraid to fail. You have to do stuff that makes you uncomfortable to actually make gains in life. And that's yeah. writ large yeah. across the board. Yeah. In your job, in your personal life. From the, yeah. Well, and you think about a child. When you watch a child in their first few years of life, they're just naturally doing that, right? Right. They're going to learn to walk. No one's forcing them to do it, but they're falling, they're tripping, they look stupid. Right. And they don't care about any of it. But that's that's great, why they learn so That's much. a great point. Watch a child go to the edge of the forest when he's two yeah. years old. And how he constantly getting out of his comfort zone, right? Yes. And that's, he's just learning. Naturally. Okay, that stick doesn't hurt me. Or that piece of, or that cactus hurts. Wow. Lesson learned. Now yeah. I move on. And you become smarter, wiser. Yeah. 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 So 100%. I mean, even the jobs, it, the military is, it's, we're bred that way. Yeah. Right. You have to take, we, we'd end up in, in special operations. You end up in a situation you never saw coming. There's no script to this stuff. Afghanistan, we dropped in, <laughs> walked yeah. out of a helicopter, go, okay. Let's but that's part of your training, right? You're trained to figure out. We're, we're going to talk about that in the next one. We got to right. come back and talk about that in the next yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, so yeah. We will, train out yeah. of the comfort zone. Yeah. And that's yeah. the point. Yeah. Let's talk about that in the next one. Yeah. So, Man, JJ, thanks so much. And and from all the listeners, I'm sure they would say this too. Thanks for serving. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Tons of respect for you. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to the No Gray Areas podcast. To dive deeper into the story, be sure to subscribe, follow us on social media, and check out nograyareas.com.